You're not from Michigan originally. You're up here. Yeah, until I was like 10. And then it's like real weird. We live right off here. And uh, I would never, I don't think I would ever live anywhere with snow. Not like that, dude. It's fucking so depressing, dude. I don't, it is, dude. Especially a cold place like where you're at. That shit don't go away for months. You get a big snow, it's like, it's white fucking, you know. Our snow day last a week ago. Holy shit. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> and that shit destroyed your vehicles, man. You got fucking. You, do they salt the roads up there? Yeah. 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 Some places are we. Go nowhere this year, though. It sat in the garage. Yeah, true. But yeah, Jose. So we got the your good old 03XX series here. So I don't know if you got uh, more of an agenda or some topics you want to chit chat about or lead us in some kind of discussion. Uh, you guys are doing great things with uh, your interviews across the board with some colonels, majors, past guys. Uh, what's going on in you know essentially each state community? What guys are doing now that we've all been together with? Uh, obviously, you're famous now with your book and another one on the way. So I don't know. Go ahead and kind of go where you want to go with it. Now that <laughs> that favorites. But no, man, I appreciate it. Nah, man, we're just trying to make a dent, you know, do something that's novel to fight back against, you know, this mental health crisis that we're currently in. And, uh, you know, the platform is multi-tiered. You know, one, it serves as a way to combat against these kinds of abstract things that uh, are very much pervasive in our society today. And on another level, it reinforces uh, some of those old, old, things that still linger in the basement of people you know what i'm saying that connection that brotherhood and i think that empowers everybody on a different level and it reminds you that you know there's still people out there that actually give a damn about you still love you um i know it's different for everybody uh i know that some guys deal with it differently but uh i don't you know i don't run away from it i know what the fuck i am deep down inside you know and trying to suppress it you know is it just does more detriment to to my overall mental health and my overall sense of being 
And not only that, man, there's just like this dark cloud, right? I always talk about the dark cloud. It's like this dark cloud that follows 2-8, follows a lot of other units. And it's like, yo, where the fuck is everybody at? Like, I know that, you know, there's Facebook and dudes keeping touch with each other internally. I think, too, a lot of, like, the co-consumerism aspect of, you know, the, the, the bro-vet mentality has done a lot to who we are. There's a lot of things that were sacred to us, a lot of things that were team shit that's now just pretty much, you know, leaked into other types of uh, occupations that you normally wouldn't see. Uh, you know, military industrial complex, the tactical shits, now the police industrial complex, which is there now, the tactical shit. And so we've kind of, we don't know how to distinguish between substance and image. And, you know, so everyone who comes on, man, you know, it's very, this is like an informal thing. You know, we always do like to start from the beginning. And I think I was telling Shu and, and Henry, you know, we really, when I was a boot, we really didn't get to, uh, tap into you know like those humble beginnings those like humbled origins like why did you join why are you here you know that whole subjective experience of being in, in battle space wasn't think, allowed. <laughs> what's that wasn't allowed yeah. yeah it's true it's true so now it's just like filling in the gaps man and you know telling us if you want and well i know it was the last time i chatted with you was it you had done five tours already yeah, yeah god yeah, man. <laughs> Chug along, man. So, yeah, let's just. Yeah, I think, like, in the grand scheme of, like, what you're doing with your book and your different things and, you know, like, there is that dark, dark cloud with everyone, right? Like, everybody has their own cloud. Everybody has their own Marvel beginning story, right? I think the thing that I noticed in and out is and if you look back to like the old timers right we're talking with the old breed the vietnam guys you know they were raised differently right like you know suck it up you bled you know you got punched in the face right like so those guys i think internalized things more when they came back right like went to war i seen the most gnarliest things on the face of the planet my generation like we're all kind of the same age so you know what I mean? but I would say generationally Marine Corps wise, you know, you both are a little bit different than myself or some of the guys you've interviewed. I think that one of the biggest problems is, is like, how were the kids raised before they joined? Right. Because you join for whatever reason you want to, but we know from people that we've all met, they went back to jail. They've got DUI, you know, they like, they've essentially went back to the same person that they were. Whereas like Vietnam, world war two, Korea, like, you were essentially expected to make something of yourself after the fact, right? Like you have nothing, like go to a warehouse, eventually maybe you're a warehouse manager. Whereas our generational war, like guys just went back to like the drugs, the, the petty things, you know what I mean? But then you have like that 10% that their goal is, okay, I'm gonna still keep making something better myself. So they go to college. They go get a different job and then kind of like you, Josie, like I, I wrote a book, you know what I mean? So I think there's some different perspectives of like how people act when they come back or get out. And I think that contributes to kind of like the mental aspect, I think, of some of the people that you see, like, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but like you can kind of tell when somebody gets out or when they're on the verge of getting out, if 
no offense to them, will they be successful or go down this dark path? And I don't know if that's something you guys have seen um, in your time. No, but I do. I, no, it makes sense, and I that's a pretty that's a pretty interesting way to look at it because I haven't really, I haven't really looked at it that way. You know, it, it does make sense more that people that have issues after leaving the service, maybe they, maybe they didn't have any type of structure to their life beforehand, and maybe they're they're the ones more likely to you know fall into those um right and the and the outlier there too is right like you know your situation for your metal josie yours mine you know those different you know outlying scenarios variables you know that obviously can change the path of somebody completely right you know, no matter the structure i kind of think right. of, i think of it it's not a real psychological term i think of it as more of a sociologically psychotic event so it can be even in high school or whatever something to change your status like pro football guy breaks his leg can never play again right for us death guns whatever it is you know there's some event that can definitely divert you down a different path for sure yeah yeah 100 man uh i look at it uh, there's so there's the macro level and there's the micro level I always look at everything from a philosophical perspective, only in part because I think that there has to be some kind of reductionist approach to a lot of the uh, white noise that has really also been detrimental to just the narrative of, you know, Marines, sailors, airmen, whomever, you know, has just been in a combat role or non-combat role. <clears throat> and uh, I think that when, when I look at like, uh, like this, like recently I just had a, a meeting with a guy named Johnny Puckett. And Johnny Puckett is the only peer sports specialist trainer in town. And he's a Vietnam veteran. Um, dude has a crazy, amazing story. And he's, he's going to be a guest on the O3XX series. And, uh, you know, he, so he's been doing a lot of peer sports certification with a lot of veterans. And uh, he, he said something that was kind of like off the wall uh, with respect to a lot of guys that he was, you know, pushing through this pipeline. And he was saying that a lot of those guys, they told him that, they don't they can't relate to him and I, I was kind of taken aback i'm like what like i don't understand like what do you mean by that he's like they just can't relate to me and i'm like uh i kind of i find that very difficult to believe because we use vietnam veteran guys korea guys world war ii guys early gulf war guys you know even in, like the invasion guys you know we use those as as reference points like if they can make it so can we we just got to figure out how to do it so i I, so philosophically, I started thinking, well, what's going on that somebody would say something like that? And, you know, there's this whole biases and the whole prejudice thing, but, you know, really when I look at that, I say, well, let's look at the climate. We've went from this meta narrative where we have these standards, whether it was religion, whether it was communities, and we essentially pluralized it. We just completely deconstructed it. And now we've entered, and I always say this, we entered this age of incommensurability. There is this standardless society now where we have no original reference point to revert back to. And I look at that. So, you know, uh, I think it was Gunny Grimmett that was having his talk, or he was talking to Napy Hill. And he says, you know, you know, you know, the Marine Corps is here to teach you how to be a better civilian. And I, and I gaffed that off. 
but he had some truth to that. There was a lot of truth to that. You know, the Marine Corps supplied you with a framework. And I think that the narrative of being pre predisposed as an ill person, right? So you go through this pipeline, you go into the military, you serve, and then all of a sudden you're put into this bracket where you're, you're somehow sick. You're sick because you went into this specific occupation. And for the past 20 years, even, even longer than that, and I say past 20 years because you know, that's whenever this whole push to get mental health, you know, a kind of modernized uh, this effort, you know, was underway. Um, I think there was this kind of like national shame of how we let these things slide. And as a result of it, you know, you had all these doctors, you had all these mental health credential people coming in, telling you how you're supposed to feel, how you're supposed to be going through this process, how there's supposed to be a transition. When in reality, that was never the case. And so it goes back to, all right, what reference points do we have as individuals and as a community? And just from, you know, sitting here with Polly, you know, and I was telling him the other day, like a few interviews ago, our community doesn't know how to celebrate the lives of the guys who've, you know, passed away. Like, how do you celebrate, you know, those, those suicides? And that's, and, and, you know, we don't have a narrative that allows us to do that. And it's still seen as a kind of, you know, a, a taboo, right? And there's a lot of things that are just standardless. And I know that, you know, you're not supposed to normalize those kinds of things, but there has to be a kind of like common ground or able to come to the table and say, how do we celebrate our past? How do we celebrate our lives? And how do we celebrate those lives with having some kind of foundation moving forward? And so I know that's a lot, but that's kind of like the journey that I've undertaken the past nine years is looking at everything through this like Aristotelian lens of who we are forming these kinds of overarching, you know, narratives and, and, and methods to apply to, to us. And I think that, that it can happen. It's just right now we're in that age of, you know, we're in the age of the influencers who's popular, who's not, who's got the most fucking body count, who's sexier, right? Uh, and so, so I think Polly wins the sexy contest. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think you're right. right, though. Like the big thing is with suicide. I on it. Like I don't think you ever fix it. I think you can make an impact. The thing is with society, physiological, you know, philosophy-wise, right? We went and did something that nobody else did. So our brotherhood is a part of something that we will always be a part of. We are the outcasts of the group to start. But collectively, when you come together, the two of us have never talked, you know, other than a couple chit-chats, emails, Facebook messages, but dirty, dark humor like our dad, AKA the Marine Corps built us into something else for society, which, you know, guys go on to be corporate 500 people, et cetera, et cetera. But from your next step into regular civilian life, you never have that again. Yeah. Like your dark humor, you got your good friends, you got a couple of them, but like that sense of belonging, that, inner depth community feeling with your bros like that can never be replaced so guy goes on to work a corporate job family business furniture shop 
internal, you know, community center and gardening program, there's still something there for every guy that's no longer there anymore. And until, and society doesn't accept us, right? Like in a certain stance, like I can't tell a dick joke in a corporate meeting. I can't make a certain joke, you know, somewhere else. Or if you have your, you know, charcuterie board club come over with your wife and friends talking about how stupid fucking Joe Biden is, you offend someone. So you uh, somehow you're just never going to get there. So I think the real problem is, is like, how do you get some self resemblance for that guy that he feels good about himself, that he's not an outcast no matter what the fuck he does. And I know from my personal experience with you, Josie and Polly, I don't think I've messaged you, but we've all been in some dark closet at some point that we've reached out to somebody and you question if this is, you know, the psychological point of your life. But, yeah. you know, we're all still here. So does that go back to the root of like how you were raised is the question, right? Like, you know, you got Saving Private Ryan, like those type of movies, guys who went essentially the same amount of time I did. But Joe Schmo starts, you know, the Nike. So I don't know what the what is the true solution there, right? Because like to curb 22 suicides a month or a day, the void also is on the acceptance of the society portion. Like we're not welcome in how what we were what we became. That's I think that's the big problem. Yeah, I think sometimes, man, for me, like when, when I think about shit, sometimes just grasping it, you know, is hard because some shit like whether whether you had, you know, traumatic experiences or not, like. I just sometimes think like, like, was that shit real? I know I know it was, but when you think about it, you're just like, holy fuck, like that as some wild ass shit to experience not just you know a traumatic event or anything but even just what the fuck we were doing like you're in a fucking completely different world it's almost like it's hard to believe sometimes and probably the further you 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 get from it time-wise because it doesn't to me it never really feels like it's it was that long ago because of the way i probably process and look at shit but like it's hard to believe that you you're put in a position like that to do something fucking like just just fucking crazy dude like blowing the fuck out of everything like literally just running wild over there almost and it's and it's not that i don't i don't think it's not that i don't believe in the cause but like the shit we were doing to try and accomplish the mission was just nuts fucking insane and when you get out and think about that kind of shit to me, it's just like, wow, like, what the, it's hard to, like, like, even, you know, I don't know, wrap your head around that. Right. I mean, in simplicity, somebody shoots at you and you walk towards the area you got shot at and you're laughing. Yeah. Like. And how can that even, like, like I'm saying. That, that you literally laugh at some point and you may die, you may not die. Or, you know, somebody essentially drops a bomb on somebody and we cheer, which if it's an eight. Oh, yeah, dude. If it's an eight. Like, awesome. But in retrospect, you know, kind of to Josie's point, 
uh, you know, from a philosophical point of view, like that's technically somebody dying. Like your reverse action is, you know, morbid sort of. And yeah, that's, supposed to come that's back. Not... Oh yeah. I, I struggled that, with that for nine years, four years. I became a hermit as a result of, of that. Cause my brain couldn't function. Like, you just can't fucking kill something to solve your fucking problems. And there was nobody that I could talk to besides, you know, my mentor who basically put me on this like physical regimen to kind of like control my, you know, this, this thing that was in me. It's like, it's like one minute I was in one minute I was out and well, good luck. Uh, but to both of your point, man, it's a, it's what I call the metaphysical paradox, man. And, you know, how, how does our generation define the past 20 years? What's the one virtue, the one thing, if there is one thing, right? If we were to look at this like nominalistic view, this universalistic view, what's the one thing that, that bounded us, that binded us all together? And that's why I put a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of emphasis on this idea of brotherhood. There's something more beyond just the word brotherhood. There's a lot deeper connections and, you know, I always, I spend a lot of time upstairs and most of my mornings, early mornings, um, contemplating on some of these more, you know, deeper uh, constructs that I have going on in my head to kind of like solve these problems. Um, my goal is to solve these problems. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be some fucking kind of savior. I just simply want to say, look, let's try this out. We haven't tried, we've tried everything out. We've tried we tried medication. We tried the whole therapeutic aspect where we go back to nature. Um, but there's still something that's still lingering around. And I think a lot of it has to deal with affective states or what we call the military atmospheres. And those kinds of affective states generate these atmospheres throughout the country. And because we're so in tune with our environment, because we're still operating off of this template that's been trained in us and cultivated in us, we feel every little fucking thing. And the problem is, is that when you have connections so deep and I go, is to, I, go, I go so far that I say that it's, it's psychical, it's related to psi phenomena that we can telepathically somehow uh, feel when someone else is in pain, that we can communicate and we can know certain things just like it was in the battle space. You know, they call it anomalous cognition. And it's something that's coming to the, front, the frontier of science as a legitimate thing. And I think that that, when we understand that, we'll be able to better understand how we can overcome some of the more uh, darker social ills that we face today. But a lot of it really has to deal with, and I'm pushing forward, is how do you see your, yourself in this narrative? Are you a brother or, or you know, what, what is it that you're, you know, that the way you see yourself? How do you see yourself? And I think that's a good place to start with the majority of our generation. Now, I put a lot of emphasis on brotherhood because one, my experiences have taught me that that is my original reference point, right? I look at 2009 and I think about, you know, I think about Vincent and from 2009, like my whole entire life fucking changed completely. And then 2011 hits and just when I thought shit couldn't get any crazier, it goes like a thousand more levels high. Or it's like, okay, now I'm questioning the fundamental nature of reality here, but what does that mean? And it always has brought me back to the one thing and that's brotherhood. Like the reason why I was there was because I have to honor said name. I have to honor the guy next to me. 
And I couldn't live with myself, you know, not doing that. And, you know, it's one of those taboo subjects. Revenge is, is, is something that isn't talked about. You know, you can only find it like in Homer. You can only find it in, in you know, these antiquated texts. And if you find it in, you know, modern times, it's very, um, it's just all image, you know? Like someone pushed me to the fucking edge where I wanted to go back and I wanted to kill as many motherfuckers as I possibly fucking could because you took something away from me. And I can't explain that other than looking at it from that kind of like purview, that, that brotherhood scope. Pretty good points. Um, so I did a paper. It was a fun paper when after I got out for college. And it was essentially, essentially it was a debate paper in speech class. And I essentially had to like tell you why something was good or bad. So I decided to pick Netflix for whatever reason. So I started digging into Netflix. Why do you, why do you watch the same show? Why do you play a video game? Why do you do this? So in that, some of the cross articles was um, related to heartbreak. So between heartbreak and, you know, the physical pain of heartbreak and that, um, the common denominator was your dopamine level. So I started digging in more. I did my paper. It was great. It was funny. Got an A. Yay for me. Um, but the dopamine led me down a different path with adrenaline. And it was co-linked to kind of all three of our time frames of, you know, getting out, staying in, and Wounded Warriors playing a bigger factor in it, and Congress looking at, you know, what the fuck is wrong with us, right? <clears throat> so there's a study out there, and I don't remember the exact name, but so essentially in wartime or, you know, Polly's getting ready to do a bike jump or crazy, you know, music show or Josie, you're getting ready to do some knife stuff, whatever your adrenaline gets pumped up. So that's part of your dopamine. So the study was that pre-deployment back in the, like that time frame, because our buildup was different than let's say World War II, Korea, whatever, where it's essentially you graduated boot camp, boom, you're gone. We're in that phase of we know we're going to war, we're prepping for war, and we know we're going to war in our job. So this article depicts how your brain increases adrenaline and dopamine. So the beginning of your training, it slowly starts to creep up because, right, you want to be on the defensive slash the offensive. You're looking for things on the, like, you know, all of your training things, it's just getting ingrained into your body. So you then get to, you know, CACs or, you know, wherever we go at the end, you know, so then you're taking the next step. So what your brain does in that initial stage, and you don't know it's doing it, and I think this also contributes to love and divorce in every branch, your brain technically cuts off emotion to those around you because you're focused on the mission and you're also focused on you know, potential death. So you become more distant, you know, unintentionally with the loved ones around you. So then you deploy. 
now your adrenaline and dopamine is even higher. So you go from, I forget what the initial level is, you're like five, 10 milligrams, whatever. Essentially you're operating at like 80 to 120 for seven, eight, nine, 10 months. And then you come back, you're expected to switch it off, right? Like, you know, your wife comes, greets you, your girlfriend comes, greets you at the homecoming, and you're supposed to go have a steak dinner and be normal, and somebody slams a glass, and you're supposed to be A-OK, right? So in the study, it says that it takes a minimum of, like, three months to start going down. So you've been back for three months. Well, what happens at month three? You get new lieutenants. You get new platoon, uh, you know, platoon sergeants, squad leaders, whatever you start squad training. So now you went from 120 to maybe 60 and you're at a level 60 now. You start training again and here we go. So your body from an adrenaline and dopamine level is literally just doing this the whole effing time that you deploy. So your relationships are affected. You're a completely different mental human being. And for you to fully reset, it says seven months up to like 14 for your brain to technically go back to normal. So if you look at the suicide rate, most people after they get out is shortly after their last deployment. Most, so, most suicides coincide with like that first year because they're lost, right? No sense of anything, whatever. But the more deployments you do, that level is still there. So it takes longer to get back to some normalcy. And I would say like after when I read that article, which was like my first year in college, I don't think it probably took a whole nother year before like the new me post-Marine Corps was a person. You know what I mean? Like, cause you still have all these haunting things. You still have the adrenaline cause you know, guys that skydive, right? Like, oh, skydiving is the best adrenaline rush in the world. Well, I know one better. So even if you have this plan and you have the great success story going forward, there's still that itch, right? Just like you talked about, Josie, revenge. It's the itch. But what it really is, is it's that dopamine. It's that sense of I was awesome at something, but I can I, I never touch it again. So I think that's one of the most interesting things I've ever read since I got out. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a crazy, it's a crazy feeling experience in that shit. You know, it's, you know, people rep, reference the whole war is a drug type thing, but it really kind of is. I forget what, I don't know all the specifics to it, but I watch it. I watch a fucking climbing documentary with uh, this dude named Alex Hanold forget what the name of it is but it's like literally a fucking change my life watching this documentary dude this guy it's oh it's called free solo and this guy fucking yeah dude did you see that this fucking guy climbs like without gear on up fucking the I, it's not as it might be it might be called the dawn wall no it's like a certain l cap there's it's a certain wall it's called the wall i will never go to yeah fuck dude it's in uh it's in I don't even know where the fuck it is, but it's the, the, the rock face is called El, El Capitan. 
and uh he free solos no gear up this fucking thing it takes him like 14 hours or whatever but anyway it's a badass documentary if you haven't watched it check it out it, like it literally I, it was giving me panic attacks almost watching this shit dude and i'm not like particularly afraid of heights and shit but the idea of like the idea of that like no room for error fucking at all this guy like i think he he climbs it or starts climbing it like a couple different times on certain days where he was going to do it. And he's like, no conditions aren't right. Like the rock was too moist or something. Like he could fucking tell dude. But anyway, they scan this dude's brain in the documentary. And there's a particular part of your brain where that is responsible for, um, for kind of like what you're talking about, like your, your adrenaline, your receptors on how, how certain types of fear like affect an individual and something about this guy's part of this guy's brain like what it was like non-existent like he didn't have the normal part of his brain to to have those like sensory fear inputs and let it affect him like i'm sure skydivers are people who do extreme things on a daily basis or you know throughout their lives like their brains are just physically different they they don't um they're not affected by certain types of, of you know things that most most normal people would be um but yeah that that's fucking interesting i didn't know i mean obviously being exposed to that kind of shit and the, those high that high stress and you know fear of dying on a daily basis or watching your people die and shit like that for a long period of time there's definitely like you said there there is lingering effects just like you said we all you know when you come home and you're supposed to fucking put on the brakes without any type of fucking downshift in it all really like you're just on the brakes from high gear to a like that's that's not um that's not really really realistic but i think at the time in the moment like none of us we don't fucking question it you know you're just happy to be home and then no your your tool bag doesn't fucking include the right tools to fucking be able to deal with that when you start having issues and then you're like holy fuck is it just me dog like am i you know, that's what everybody thinks. I think you're just like, I can't, I can't be having these problems. Like nobody else is really saying shit. You know, I can't be like, dog, I can't fucking sleep. Cause I'm, I'm waking up sweating or doing whatever. Like, you don't, you, I don't even fucking remember talking to that, talking to anyone about that shit. When we got back and I was still in like, no, it was like no fucking problem. Yeah, man. Happy to be home, bro. Cool. Let's fuck drink, drink beer and put it on. Yeah. Beer. Let's go to Heroes and get chicken wings and fucking smash beers and shit. Yeah, until we get, you know, whatever. Like, it was no problems. Nobody had problems because we, you can't really. That's just not the mentality, but. And then so-and-so get arrested or go to the brig or whatever. Like, oh, that sucks. And you all know, drunkenly, he probably mentioned something like we all did. Right. But you're like, oh, that sucks. You know, he just made a mistake. But at the same time, it's that pride. It's that brotherhood. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. Well, we're getting ready for round two, three, four. We need you. As long as you can do it, we're good. Yeah, just keep putting them, just keep putting them back in there, dude. It's like a, you know, it's like a fighter. You know, I, I don't know if you guys are into okay. MMA or boxing or anything like that, but it's like how fucking how rare is it for someone to throw the towel in for anyone? In MMA, it's almost non-existent. I know it does happen in boxing, but it's just like you, 
you you got to pull some of these guys out that are like, and I know this is what Jose's fucking really one of his big goals is like trying to get somebody in there that is equipped to be able to fucking analyze individuals and be like, hold on, pull this guy out for a second. And I know that's fucking hard because it's like when you got a good corpsman, like try to bait, you know, help you out and baby on you a little bit and be like, dog, like, you know, cool it, you know, and you're like, fuck you, doc, whatever. Like you want to bang still, but having that guy that can analyze individuals and, and pull them back a little bit and be and throw the towel in for them and say, you're, you're sitting this one out, dude. Right. You know, we got to get, we got to get you, you we got to get your head checked out. Because now, I mean, I think as time has passed, they know what to, they can scan motherfuckers' brains now and and know if there's some type of issue going on with the signaling and, you know, that's a precursor to fucking. So to debate that topic, Josie, this is probably right up your alley. All right, so all three of us go through boot camp, training, blah, 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 first deployment, whatever, and the experience, right? Experience is an unvaluable dollar amount. Let's throw a million bucks on each of our head after the first deployment. Even if you can do it, can scan somebody, whatever. If you can maybe just interject a little normalcy, you let them keep going. Because you're you're worth a million bucks now. You're yeah. a tool. You're a tool. Yeah, I agree. And I know that's kind of part of the dilemma here because we hit we touched on this early on, just about like you gotta have we all knew, you know, we didn't, maybe didn't think of it at, at that level, but you're just like, you knew when you sign up, especially to be ground combat, you knew you fucking expendable dude. And I know when you start kind of, when you start kind of treating, treating war dogs, like they matter, they, you know, they start getting a little, that can go the wrong way really easy, you know? You can't, you can't fucking sugarcoat everything, but it's like at the same time, now, what do you have? It's like, you have a bunch of guys, fortunately in modern wars, there's not mass fucking KIA on our side anyway, but now you have a bunch of fucking vets returning, going back into the fucking civilian population. And they're all there. They all have fucking what most of them like Jose loves the term moral injuries. They have fucking brain injuries, whether it's from, you know, trauma blasts, fucking, you know, whatever. Seven times. Yeah. Whatever, whatever they have, they have issues in their fucking cranium. So what do we do to allude on that more? So like, you remember like the ECM on the back of the Humvees before, Like you guys had the different name or whatever, same principle. Yeah. So Josie, this would have been, so my first appointment, so you would have been, you came in after that at the other barracks. So the ECM being in the turret, we did 12 hours, 14 hours, whatever. We didn't have the backpack things back then. It wasn't known that like it interfered with your brain at all. (laughs) Yeah. Good job, government. Yeah. Um, so after we got back, I, I roomed with Jones, Jeremiah Jones. And if I came into my barracks room, the old school brown neck gator, I had that by my bed. 
I had to put my keys, my wallet, my ID, everything. I had to put it right there. If I didn't put it there, like left it in my camis, I put it in my cover, what I would spend an hour looking for my shit. I could not remember where it was and nor could I find it. I mean, it's not funny. I laugh about, you know, how it's pretty funny, but yeah, no, but you know how like shit is, but like, that's fucked up. But like, even at that time though, you're just like, you're not really questioning it. You're not really looking to make a big fuss and be like, Hey doc, like, I just think I'm a stupid 19 year old. You say, damn, why am I being such a fucking idiot? But it's just like, yeah, I mean, and it is down the road where I think a lot of times shit's not brought up until you think about it for a while and you're just like, damn, like what, you know, you guys are seeing all this shit now with like the toxic exposure stuff with the burn pits and all this shit. And fuck, I had colon cancer at 26. I know. I wanted to ask you about that. Ask away. Yeah, no, I know you. I know you had can I remember seeing you post shit about like cancer free, or this was a, a while a while back, like a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. So I did my last. So I did Fallujah 0607, Ramadi 0708. Then I did the push with you guys in 09. Then I went back in 11. And then I went to Battle Skills Training School because I only had like, I don't know, like nine months left on my contract or some shit. What the hell is that? It's essentially SOI, but not SOI for non-combat groups. So if you backtrack the story, um, the MSG general, so the, the logistical general in each regiment slash second marine division whatever back in the heyday warranted personal protection detail of like 30 infantry marines so that was always a thing like they guarded the general they did the things whatever in between um vietnam and uh desert storm they essentially was like hey we still have this allocation for grunts let's have them train um, the logistics battalion. Let's have them train some people from the air wing. So basic patrolling, land nav, all that shit, whatever. Great fucking time. Because I just fucked up pogues all the time with fake <laughs> and grenades and whatever. It was great. Um, but so I went there to just try to figure out what's the next move or whatever. Do I stay in and get out? So second Anglico was responsible for all JTACs across the board the whole war. So in 2011 slash 12, they were like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We're, we're tapped. So they're like, find your own joint forward observer and your own JTAC to support the battalion that deploys next. So our uh, school, captain went to to jtac school and then because i was smarter than the other people they're like you're gonna go to jfo school so i went to jfo school within like three months of going there so between our last pump in 11 with you josie i went to that school then i went to jfo school in virginia and i deployed a month later so i was only back in the united states for five months 
What the fuck? That's some hardcore shit, man. So then I was a part of a four-man JTAC crew, just the driver, me, the captain, whatever. Um, so we went with the logistical battalion everywhere they went. So all of our back when we, in our heyday, right? The, the water, the MREs, you know, whatever. So we were literally going from Leatherneck all the way to the Kajaki Dam or from Leatherneck all the way to Garmshire. Holy shit. And but we'd be gone for five, six, ten days at a time. Then we come back. And I was on Camp Leatherneck. I had a shower, had a PlayStation, had a TV, chicken wing Wednesdays. Love <laughs> like the couple firefights we got into. Like I was sitting down in the, you know, the big part of the MRAP or whatever, and I'd hear like ting 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 ting. I'm like, this is great. This is by far way better than the last four times. <laughs> but I still remember this kid, his last name was Poole, and he got shot at. And a couple rounds hit the turret. He's like, what do I do? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you do? Shoot back, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was that. So then I got out. And I had shoulder surgery right away. Like, because it was, like, I couldn't even lift it at all. So I did that. And then, so I'm just still chilling at the schoolhouse, still trying to figure out everything. I started getting really sick, like eating food and going to the bathroom. And so when I go to the bathroom, like when I would wipe, like it started out like it's a little bit of blood on the toilet paper, then like a little bit more, whatever. But again, getting divorced, shoulder surgery, Percocet, Vicodin, you know, you name it back then, like, okay, that just could be from all that. So I was starting the med board process then. And then it like kind of went away. I was like, okay, I'm fine, whatever. Da, 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 da. And then it got like way worse. Like, so like if this is like a sheet of two two ply toilet paper, it was like the whole thing. So I finally showed my case manager. So you should probably go to the ER if it happens again. So again, then like two weeks went by, like nothing happened. So then finally it happened again. And I went to the ER on like a Saturday and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I think I have some internal bleeding of some sort or whatever. And you guys can all guess the old, you know, military hospital. Like, oh, is it, is, is it bad? Are you, are you dying? Do you need a cracker or whatever? Yeah. And I was like, here's, here's the photo. She's like, oh, so then she gave me like the get seen now bracelet. <laughs> right. So I went and did that. And they're like, yeah, you got blood in your stool, whatever. So like two weeks later, I went and had a colonoscopy. And they're like, yeah, we'll follow up with you in like two weeks, let you know that uh, what the results are, whatever. Well, they called me like two days later. And they're like, yeah, we need you to come in. I'm like, okay, well, obviously there's something. And they're like, yeah, we found like three polyps, one had cancer, whatever. So like if you think of like your intestines or your blood, whatever you want to think of, you know, so the polyp grows on the outside or whatever, but the cancer was like essentially touching the wall of the vessel. So there's no way to prove if it's in your lymph nodes or, you know, whatever. So like, yeah, you have cancer, but we have to like essentially cut you open. It's like, oh, okay. And then you, you two know me, like, I'm a jokester. So like I went back to my command. I was like, 
um, we got ass cancer and I need to have surgery. They're like, sure. And it's not up here. My retirement plaque literally says, where's Ray? Oh, he's got ass cancer. He's doing shit. <laughs> Damn. That's not funny, man. That's fuck. So, so is, is that type of cancer? Like, that's not something that's genetic or can it be, or. Maybe, but I'm the only one in my whole family. Okay. Yeah. And there's a couple other people that had a couple different versions of cancer from like the last deployment, same thing. So back to like your burn pit thing. Yeah. No, hang on. Let me, let me go. So you, so they cut you out and then did you have to do like treatments, like, like radiation or any nope. chemo or anything? Literally just like, we're going to cut it out and see where we need to go. And the and then they just kept scanning you down the road to see if anything came back or anything. Yeah. Pretty much. I got a camera up my ass every six months. Nice. Nice, man. You felt weird. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're not. I mean, as far as that goes nothing kept you know kept coming right. back so that was the precursor well that was the final nail in the coffin for retirement right so you said something you know other people who have had similar issues that yeah, so that last deployment with that logistics group two other people got cancer and one of them actually also had colon cancer wow same age wow yeah Dude, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You, you know, obviously we know the government likes to test shit on the military. I mean, that's that's fucking, that's wide open. That's out there. Anyone can can fucking research that. But you know, especially had the COVID shot. Especially, yeah, I know. Especially like the the shit we were eating, dude. Like MREs. You're you're not supposed to eat MREs sustained like that. Like like we did for fucking more than like i think it's 30 days like max and that's even that's not even eating them for three three meals a day where you know i don't i'm sure you guys had probably pretty similar in 11 but 09 like dude i remember fucking eating only mres in the foot those ugr the ugres or whatever fucking breakfast uh you want some ham slices you want some ham slices josie dude yeah fucking sausage oh yeah gravy biscuits dude we ate that shit for dinner for like two months that was it mres during the day and the big ugres those sausages or those uh, biscuits and gravy yeah the biscuits they were a hardest ride in 09 we had sesquan chicken for oh yeah so josie and his crew stole some from headquarters oh my god but yeah that shit i mean it's there's so much fucking like uh what is it trans fats and shit like shit that causes cancer trans fats does and it's fucking listed on there like in the ingredients it's in there and like i mean i'm not saying but you know all that kind of shit the burn pits the fucking whatever else we were in you know injected with the food i mean who fucking knows dude like it's 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 really a a miracle i'm sure it'll all come out down you know down the road this shit's gonna tear us up. <laughs> it can come out nowhere. Yeah. No, I mean, as far as it, anyone that doesn't have effects now, like it's just a matter of time, you know. No, no one's fucking assuming responsibility for anything. It's our own dumbass faults, but um, yeah. 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 So that happened, and then uh, 
I applied to like five different colleges in Minnesota. And I was just a dumbass jock in high school. So I only got into one. <laughs> um, turned out to be all right, though. So went to Augsburg, double majored in marketing and business in three years. And then helped coach, did some work with the VFW in Minneapolis. Um, then after that, like, got my job that I have now at one point. But then it was still kind of like what Josie alludes to, like, still like there was no fulfillment there was no brotherhood thing there was no driver there was no still like missing something um so i've been playing softball on and off or whatever and i played when you guys were into we all fucked around and did all that shit um but so there's a military minnesota military softball association here in minnesota and it's a 501 non 501 nonprofit, whatever. So I just recently got on the board for that um, this past, like hmm, five months ago, maybe. And so what they do is they throw this big ass tournament. It's a hundred teams, different vendors. They pick um, every year, they pick different people who they're going to donate to. So it's, it's a weird nonprofit. So you host the tournament, which generates revenue you kick back some prizes, but what we do is we essentially then kick this extra money back to other nonprofit organizations within the state of Minnesota only to help veterans. So there's one called the St. Croix Marine Foundation. So it's like a camping retreat kind of thing. There's another one, it's Wisconsin based, but he does trips between Wisconsin and Minnesota all the time. Essentially, what he does is he takes guys fishing, hunting, trapping everywhere. Just essentially no age limit, no nothing. Got to be a veteran. Prove it. I'll take you somewhere to like just bring you at peace with the world somewhere. And so being a part of that the last six months or so has been great. Like there's finally kind of something in my life that's like give back you know there's a connection there's now a brotherhood versus corporate america where nobody gives a shit about anybody yeah. oh that's cool that's good man i like shit like that i mean especially when when you hear about guys like yourself where you know that because man you there's a lot of shit out there and you don't know how people are if they're doing it the right way or not you know i I guess anyway it is a good way but there's some there's some shady shit with nonprofits. so knowing that somebody like you that you know um is involved with that kind of shit that's awesome because probably make sure guys that need it you know or need help and that too man that's not what me has always been you know you hear about people getting all kind of shit and going on trips and this and that and i'm just like damn like like i don't have any problems with anyone that that does that and utilizes those services and nonprofits that do that shit for people but i'm just like man i don't know i don't know how many guys would would just like asking for help like who's gonna go and be like hey man you know which which a ton of dudes could benefit from that going on trips fishing trips hunting trips but like the guy that has the problem that probably needs that shit, who's getting him on that fucking trip? Exactly. Who's and, getting him there? And I've noticed that too. It, it, that's 
one of the best points. Like I love hunting. I love fishing. I love all of that. But for me to raise my hand to go do that. Yeah. Right. Oh, maybe there's somebody way worse than me that needs it more than me. Like I have a good job. I can go do things. I can still technically do it on my own. But if you tie that back into Josie's metaphorical of a brotherhood, you're going on that trip with guys exactly like you in some way. But the hard part is exactly what you said, is how do you get a me to sign that up for that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is it necessarily not a you? And is it more of the problem is getting the spouse or the, the something? Because in my personal experience, once you get the individual there, it doesn't matter, right? Like, no. you know, I know you're broke right now because DFAC fucked you. Here's $100 for lunch for you and your wife for two days. Right. You want it and you're going to fight me like no tomorrow to take it. But eventually maybe you take it or I hide it in your pocket. Right. So that's the problem I think that faces veterans today is there is that 10.30 p.m. I'm dark as shit. I'm under the cloud. I need brotherhood, but I'm too afraid to ask for it. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you have that conversation? Who's going to talk to you? Who's going to answer you? What if you message somebody and nobody answers? Then it's worse. You know, like... Oh, there's nobody to talk to, whatever, so on, so so on, so forth. And, you know, Josie, you've been vice versa. We flipped some scripts with some dark conversations, like you wanted a conversation, you know. But I think once you get that one, that one conversation with someone, you're more adept to have a ton more conversations about something. Yeah. Well, I think, Josie, for you with your book and maybe some more research is how do you get the one conversation, right? Because that's the initial. So once you get one, you're more adept to maybe talk about some really deep shit way more often. So how does the standard in the community and mental health, how do you get that one starter conversation? I think by having a bunch, a bunch of people that are willing, you know, broadcast it just, just like we're doing, because I've had, I've had conversations with guys that have hit me up that are just like, like listening to you guys and shit and all that. And I was like, yeah, man, you want to bullshit sometime? Come on here. And, and a lot of guys don't think that they have anything to say, but everyone does. You know, we're, we're not, we're not talking about anything fucking spectacular here. It's all shit we did together but but like jose was saying you know because of the way it's laid out and a lot some some of the guys we talked were senior guys talked to on here you don't get to know where they came from yeah you might know l you know raised from fucking minnesota or wherever like that's it you don't with a lot of senior guys you don't get to learn their backstory you know, or what's been going on in their life since you just remember those memories and times you had then, which is all great and everything, but just talking about that, just talking to somebody and, and being able to see them, you know, it, it kind of, it kind of give you know, brings you back a little bit and it's, and it's good, man. Um, I think by, 
yeah, it's still getting getting the guys that don't think they have anything to say. Those are the same guys that fucking need to be on the fucking trips, but will never go because they can't. No one will get them there. You know what I mean? They're not going to get themselves there. And if their wife or you end up reaching out to him and saying, "Hey, you know, let's get so and so on a trip," then he's fucking fighting with his wife because he's like, "I don't fucking need that shit. I don't need to go. I don't need special treatment. There's people worse off than me." Blah blah blah. And it's just like. It's a hard thing to do, but well, the one thing that I've seen that like kind of maybe I shouldn't divulge, but um, you know, like, oh, you won this, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> incentivize it. Yeah, <laughs> paraphrasing something that you won it is different, right? Like, if I told you, Polly, like, oh, you yeah, I'm your best friend, and here's this vet trip, or Oh, I saw this on Facebook. I signed you up and you won. You get to go hang out and fish. Like that's a different persona that I've seen that works. I do partake in um my cousin went to this, I won't name the resort because they don't want to be, but uh it's a pretty nice, famous resort up in northern Minnesota. And he's partnered with the DAV, and there's actually like a legit waiting list for this. Um, so about 15 to 20 guides will bring their boats up there, pre-fish. The DAV selects or you know, however they register, they bring up about 20 vets. They get assigned to a boat captain and they fish for walleye, do whatever. You don't pay for the resort, you don't pay for the food, you don't pay for the beer, you have a fish fry, you don't pay for nothing. And I've been up there a couple of years. I didn't get to go last year because of COVID because it was more restricted. But you talk about like humbling experiences, like these boat captains are hosts like World War II, Vietnam, Korea. And then you get like those old breed together in a boat. And I think if you were to do some kind of analogy or study like that dopamine level, it's just getting two people with the same experience in the same spot that's yeah. some, something triggers in your brain that you're not alone like you're to get like you, totally different experiences but like if you get guys in the same scenario talking somehow they reconnect with the world and that's what i've seen from being up there like just dudes being humbled as shit like we had one dude that was Korea, we had one guy with Vietnam, we had a World War II guy with, you know, a Desert Storm guy. Doesn't Desert Storm guy didn't say anything because he was blown away by his story. Damn. Yeah, I think so. There's so many factors we've all talked here today, which are some good points, Josie, for your book and some further research. You know, how do you get that one conversation? How do you get, you know, that feeling together again for brotherhood? Yeah, no. Um, a lot of it is reframing. Um, I don't like. I don't like. I don't like the. Well, revolution means that you have to like completely destroy something. That's why I'm shooting for reform. Like the way we discuss. So, you know. So in the book, there's a portion where I'm going to dedicate to you know how the Greeks back in the day used to fight. Now, this goes with what I want to present Department of Defense with with a new MOS and maybe some new type of, a new paradigm in, in the way that we do contracts um, with individuals. So if you look at like the antiquated armies that used to go fight these wars, they used to bring their families, man. 
like they used to bring the village with them. And so it's like the, the, the village, the community went to war and they celebrated and they, they lost together. And no matter where they ended up, right? That's where, you know, they understood the whole society understood how that played out. And so it wasn't this issue where we have today where it's, you go, you come back and no one knows what the fuck you did. Because, you know, there's this, there this atmosphere in the United States where, you know, endless wars, endless wars, endless wars. But, you know, if you want to get technical about it, there hasn't been a war since World War II. We call these armed conflicts. And it's been 70 years since we actually declared war. So, so there's a whole technicality. So, but in the essence, so if you look at, so I, I go back to King Philip of, of Macedon and how he brought on Aristotle to teach young Alexander about, you know, his philosophy. And eventually Alexander took a hold of, you know, the, the, the army and basically took over a large majority of these, you know, these territories. But it can't be denied that that philosophy, the, the Aristotle's virtue ethics, wasn't passed on to uh, uh, um, Alexander. And the point that I'm, I'm trying to make here is they tried to weaponize love. And when you weaponize love that way, there's a certain kind of push factor that you're able to, to, to kind of, uh, it comes out subconsciously, right? So if you know you love somebody and you're on the battle space with them, and fuck, you don't know what's about to happen or you're in the shit and you hear someone scream or someone radios over to you that they're fucking pinned down, you're going to fucking fight harder. And I think that there's a way we can use these old frameworks and basically call them enhancements because that's what they are. I don't view my experience as, as something negative. It's an enhancement. All it's done is enhance my survivability. It's enhanced my my lifestyle, yes, there are repercussions, there are consequences to that whole thing, but it's not like it's it's like uh, it's completely incapacitating me. So these are enhancements, and I think until the point that we can really go back to these old frameworks, dissect them, and then apply them to to the modernization of what it is that you know prescriptive combat, then we can have these other conversations where we're able to get those individuals who are in those dark places or who we haven't heard from in a while, and then bring them to the light. But it also takes an individual who has gone through the fucking ringer, right? Like there's only like, you know, I'm not trying to be uh, prejudiced here in, in regards to who I talk to, but it's not like, uh, you know, I, I, I there's a somewhat like I, I can I can relate with Polly, I can relate with you, right? And I'm always going to have the respect for somebody else and their experiences. But at the fundamental level, you understand the language of fucking pain. And I need somebody to understand that. And if there's a someone out there that I know has gone through the fucking shit, I will use him as a reference point and say, what the fuck? If they're going to do it, then I'm going to fucking do it. Right? But it takes the whole fucking goddamn unit to kind of, you know, absorb that and then try to use that to our advantage. And, you know, that's, once again, you know, it goes back to this whole idea of this platform is, you got to empower individuals in order for them to understand that, look, guys are still out here. Guys give a fuck about one another. Use them as a reference point. You know, it's it's okay to say that I need a break, right? You don't have to go 100% all the damn time. I know you, 
you'll burn out. You will burn out. I've been there and it, it's taken me a long time to, to finally say, you know what? I need a break. I need to chill out. Uh, and there's a whole entire regimen. There's a whole entire template that guys can educate themselves in that can be applied to their lives where they have quality of life. It doesn't have to be this in and out thing where it's, they're constantly dealing with it. Um, but it does take a lot of reforming. I mean, reforming. You got to sit the people down at the hill. You got to talk to these assholes. You got to talk to these generals. You got to sit down with them. And you got to explain to them that these old ways still have relevance to this idea of warring. And that's another thing is we should be doing it 10 times better where these things are not issues, but they still are. And I think that's kind of the whole point of fifth generation war fighting, right? There's some points where, well, we're technically not in fifth generation war fighting. We're still in fourth generation war fighting. But nonetheless, we know that there's this kind of transition that's taking place with technology, software, and just the overall tool assessment of who they want in these positions. But the further we become technical, the, the, the further we stray, uh, stray away from being human. And there's something that goes with that. And those are all those experiences that we talk about. Now, up to the point where we're going to bark as loud as we possibly can, our change is going to be made. That's up to, you know, the wills that have it. But I do think that there has to be a serious reform in how we do things. And it starts with assessing the current paradigm that we're in right now and calling it what it is. We are in full blown out war and it's not just the kinetics that matters. It's about the epigenetics. It's about the genome. We are engineering an entire society to become docile and to become incapacitated with the, you know, with whatever it is state or, or superpower that wants dominance. And until we can ground ourselves with those overarching kinds of issues that plague our society, we're never going to tackle this whole mental health crisis. And that's really what it comes down to is we have to take mental health fucking so serious that it becomes, it just becomes a part of our everyday life. And it's not. We use mental health as a fucking excuse. We, every time there's a fucking mass shooting, what is, oh, it's, it's mental health. Now, let, let, let's, let's point out these old adages of, look, there's evil and good in this world. You build too much of a bad environment. Guess what? People are going to act out. I don't need a gun. I can use a fucking pencil. I can use a fucking knife. Like it's always going to exist, but we have to build up the parameters and the environments that are suitable for those individuals to go ahead and say, oh shit, I need to, I need to put myself in check or I need to reach out. That's a lot, man. It really is a lot. Uh, and what, you know, that's going to be a lifelong project, uh, a lifelong project. I threw you a question in chat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about R&R, &R, though. Uh, so the question in, in general is, okay, we're bred warriors, gung-ho, whatever. Look at, like, tight-wound us versus them. 
So my thing is, what do you, what's your perception on, like, they had R&R for two weeks, or the Army artists took R&R. Like, they thought for the same amount of time, but there's a cognitive release of normalcy, is where I'm kind of trying to go with that. So we go for nine months, 10 months, a year, no rest. It's just us hanging out with the broskies, watching the same goddamn Harry Potter movie. They get to go to Da Nang, have a beer, have a rest, you know, go to the restaurant. So where do you view that in, you know, the complication of our evolvement as a warrior? You know, is, does that make sense? Like us not having R&R versus them having R&R is the problem different. Yeah, I don't, I don't, honestly, man, I think a lot of it has to do with the strategy that was enacted between Iraq and Afghanistan. Like war has become so prescriptive, right? And with that prescription becomes, you know, precision and with precision outcomes should be done to the point where we should have been an in and out, right? But somehow we're still there 20 years later. And I think a lot of built. I think because wars have scaled down where it becomes very, very uh, alienated and isolated and communal to the point, I think there is this lingering idea too, where it's like, well, the boys are downrange. I'm not downrange. What purpose do I have? So I don't think the interval between relaxing uh, uh, has that much of an effect. Maybe it does. I think a lot of it has to do with strategy. And I think, you know, talking about 2011, a little bit, just in general, is we had a proper understanding of how the Taliban operated. Hire didn't want to listen. So the end result was politics. And then the entire seven-month deployment dragged on when it shouldn't have dragged on because we were, you know, second bodies within a two-week period that we had arrived. Right. And, you know, um, Roosevelt said, and Lyndon B. Johnson, the moment you involve politics, the war is lost, um, which we all three of us personally know to be true. Um, but let's say in general to like more civilize that question, regardless of Vietnam or Iraq, Afghanistan, if maybe you had a two week break period or a weekend, you can- Are you, talk, are you talking like mid deployment? I'm talking like throughout the whole deployment. Yeah, the army does that, dude. They do like the 15 months- they do the two weeks, but yeah. for, for them, though, you're just leaving, you're escaping, and you're coming back. So it just splits it. To me, that's my buddy. I have a good friend, a childhood friend uh, that was in the Army Infantry, and he was actually in, he was at Camp Corregidor when we went to fucking uh, Ramadi. Camp Corregidor was right across the canal. They were, uh, right. they did chow runs for us, but he was the, he was there. He was the Army, and he, he actually fought in the streets that we patrolled like heavy dude like right before we got there he was there for 15 months but um they did he ended up catching a catching a ricochet off a turret in the throat piece he was fine he called me he called me when he got medevaced out from there he called me when he from fucking iraq but anyway um so yeah he i, I asked him about that um mid-deployment fucking break yet like they send you home he fucking hated it he's like yeah. what, what do you like i can't wake up at home and literally 24 hours ago i'm i'm banging in the streets of fucking ramadi and i wake up and i'm here and i'm just like that's the weirdest shit to me 
And I don't know, it might benefit some guys, but I honestly think like leading up to that, you know, it's like, it's like a lead block where you're, you know, a lead block's coming up and you're back in garrison and you're just like, just getting so hyped for it, getting complacent at, at work. You're at, you know, you're not downrange or anything. And you're just kind of fucking writing everything off. You're like, fuck it. We'll do it when we get back from leave. And, and I couldn't imagine knowing I'm going to get sent home, but I'm on fucking patrol knowing I'm leaving in two days and I'm thinking about who the, like, am I really looking for fucking command wires and shit or what? Like, no, I'm off thinking about what I'm going to do when I get home. I, me personally, I think that, I don't think that would work for me, dude. Oh, good point. I'll clarify a little bit more. Um, so like they get, you know, rotated to the main base or something back in the old days, right? Go get hot water, go get chow. Oh, right. So I guess more or less my question would be, you know, what would mental health play in if, you know, first squad gets rotated to fucking Leatherneck or, you know, like, we'll just say we're close to Leatherneck. Not not that we're going that far, but like those couple times we got to go get hot showers. We were in a bed bed or, you know, you just get to decompress a little. Yeah. I mean, so we go from Garmshire to, you know, somewhere else just to reform refit just you know no no stressor essentially you're not on post you're not patrolling still in the same region just a little bit further away you know so you're still got some alert status but would that play dividend into your mental state all the way through because when we were in fallujah once a month we rotated squads back to or every two weeks or something Back to Camp Fusion. You have to go get a real shower. You have to go get the PX. You got to do something. So morale's a little bit higher. You're in a more secure location. You know what I mean? But it's just one of those like, oh, you lived in a fucking box square for nine months. But this version, you get to go like just there's no threat to your life for a little yeah. bit. If the logistics of that would be difficult. And then if that was like a voluntold kind of thing. I think most guys wouldn't do it, man. Um, and like, not only that, we have to like we're we're assuming too that wars are going to be fought the same way that we fought these wars. Like, if we're looking at war with China, we're looking at war with Russia, dude. It's they're not gonna they're not gonna have time. I don't think in my my mind because the the, the long range precision of some of these ballistic missiles. Dude, it, it would. It's it, you're always going to have to be on the move. Like, there's not going to be any time. True, but you still rotated in World War II, Vietnam. Like, you just weren't on the front. So that's more or less my debate: is just yeah. taking taking a squad off the front for a hot shower and chow. Like, I, the principle, I guess, would be more of us being. Um, what the hell was that stupid Op Miller? Uh, Mueller. So, like, essentially, if you were. <laughs> That OP Muller for six months, but throughout that six months, you went back to a different, bigger base, essentially. So that that's kind of where I was going. Like, if you guy give a guy a break for a day or two, you know, does that help improve? Like in the previous wars, right? Like a guy gets a break, it can snap him out of like some mental, you know. Yeah, and I do think, and I can see how that would be beneficial where you can like fucking rest easy for a little bit, knowing that, you know, 
but I think that's going to be dependent on the individual. I think some, some guys wouldn't, they just want to stay in it, you know, and, and see it through and see the job and get it done. And then some guys might be like, fuck, I'm exhausted. Like, let me just chill for a minute. I think it, it's. But isn't that the bigger picture potentially, right? Like you're pushing a guy to go yeah. through. Thing, but right? the thing is, dude, especially the Marine Corps, Right. you want fucking pissed off dudes out there like that's what you want you want dudes that are treated like shit out there that are just fucking pissed and want to destroy everything that's what you want i mean you know it, it, to, yeah i mean I'll, I'll put it to you this way um and then we brought this up to Polly in the past how many how, how many of us were taught bona fide resilience tracking skills like resilient skills like all right, I have anxiety. Like, for example, I always bring it back to Joe. Um, when Joe died, there was three days where I know shit felt every footstep that I was going to take, I was going to get fucking blown the fuck up. And oh, you and I had that discussion before it happened. Yeah. Well, it goes back to my whole anomalous cognition thing, my whole anomalous cognition piece. But so I had this kind of like uh, brutish type of way of dealing with that. I PT the fuck out of myself, which leveled the cortisol levels, which balanced me out, which chilled me out. And I was able to overcome that. But now it's like, uh, all right. So for example, there's a lot of guys that deal with a lot of anxiety, right? I, I used to, I still deal with anxiety and, you know, I track it back to you. All right. So I almost did like 400 ops. Uh, be, you know, with all my experiences combined together. And that means that I almost left the wire. I did leave the wire 400 fucking times. So I've conditioned myself that once I cross, you know, the line of departure, I'm, you know, I'm going into harm's way. Well, now when I'm here back at home, this is my little fucking PB. I don't call it PB. I call it my home. But every time I go into my car and I go driving, I know that I'm about to get into shit. There's people that are road raged out, people that are upset, people in a rush, you know, you're, you're tapping into a whole other thing. So there's things now that I, that I was taught where I can physiologically, psychologically track the sensations in my body, bonafide do, um, you know, a breathing technique in conjunction with an EDMR process where I sniff a particular scent and it brings me back to my resilient zone where I'm go where I'm more operational and effective on the road rather than fucking being burned out, you know, within the 15 minutes of my adrenaline peaking. So there's ways to maximize the output. And I think that if those kinds of skill sets were kind of prescribed and taught to us, we'd be a lot more effective warfighters. And I also think we'd also have better coping skills so that whenever we have the downtime to process all this information, if everyone's on the same same wavelength and everyone has the same skill sets and we're, you know, you know, you know these kinds of knowledges are perishable skills. Like you have to constantly, you know, practice fucking medical triage well you also have to practice mental triage mental health triage and if you have the whole entire squad platoon then everyone's going to be squared away now that's also dependent too on your chain of command that's, that's dependent on your squad command and who's all doing that stuff so if we're going you know i think a lot of those and i, I see your point man like i could have yeah dude uh, fuck you know, I didn't I think I think it could have benefited a lot of <laughs> yeah. people, but like he's saying, like if it's a voluntary thing and not like a voluntold thing, I'm saying voluntary. Like, yeah, days first squad, you ain't doing shit. You're just getting showers, no posts, no nothing. Right. 
like that can be the difference. Like, yeah, like the go-getters, like, oh, fuck, I want to get back into it, right? But even for the go-getter, a subtle change and just uh, yeah, tune it down a little. You know what I mean? Like, that's something none of us ever got the whole, all of our career, right? Like, because there is that mental point that sometimes you break or you reach it, you don't want to patrol or whatever. So if you could just get some, you know, and it's a catch-22, right? Like Josie, when I got left off the patrol for Joe, because I've been on three in the last two days or whatever it was. And, you know, Polly, you, um, with Bruce and all that, you know what I mean? Like, there is also that, like, oh, you're off the patrol schedule for today. There is that yeah. euphemism of euphoria that I'm just going to hang out and chill. But it also just that goes back to this weird paradigm that Josie says, like, you want to be there. You need to be with your brothers. You need to go. But somehow that still just plays some crazy niceness in your brain. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've talked about that. Sometimes, that's like life-saving. You know, the way we used to find IEDs on the fucking round, man, was not. If I would have been on that patrol, that could have easily been me. Joe and I did the exact same thing. Yeah. Because even though you had a higher position in the squad, but I was separate at the same time with the same equal power, I would just tell you to go over there and make sure my guys are good and I would be the one with the knife. Yeah, that's like survivor's guilt type ideology there. I mean, I, you know, with my situation, you know, Wester was back. Wester wasn't on that patrol. He's he, Wester walked fucking point every patrol as a fire team leader. And he was back at base for getting his head checked for uh, ID that blew up an MRAP and he was in the turret and like broke his thumb or something, but they never got sent back. Cause this was early on when we were down pushing. Uh, right. That's when Gulf company switched. Yeah. Yeah. But we were all down. Most of the company was down. Uh, yeah, was there. We were still up north. Uh, uh-uh. I was with you. I was with you guys all the way until fucking garrison squad got sent back for that bullshit. Right, but that was the same time he got blown up, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so Wesher was attached with whoever came down to rip golf out. Right. And he, they were clearing um, down Redskin, and that's when they lost Spicer, the two EOD techs that were fucking like little crony clearing all of Redskin south of... Anyway, their MRAP got rocked. So he, on the patrol uh, that we lost, Farrell and Latour got fucked up. I, my fire team was point. And I was I was running a point man. Wesher was back. He wasn't even on that fucking patrol. But I mean, I've ran through similar scenarios to like what you're saying is how does a patrol order change when if I was there and then who could it have been? Or I mean, it's just a it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And it's a I mean, tying back to what you were saying about making guys come off the line, I do think that's that would probably be beneficial, but it would have to be like a voluntary thing and not like, Hey, who wants, who wants to go back? You know? Right. It's, and we did it in both of our, like I did it through all of mine, but you guys know too, like, Oh, you're going back to so-and-so and you're showering to get, you know, mid deployment training. You know what I mean? So you went and got a shower, you got some chow at the bigger base or whatever. So we all did it. Yeah. I think I, I want is like, do you do that more often? You know, not all the time, but like, even if it's just yeah. your own base, you know, you know, first squads on post or whatever for a week 
extra to relax a little bit. You know, it sucks, but post is gay. But dude, I think I think one of the big issues I had, like looking back at it now, I think like the presence patrol shit that we did is fucking bullshit. I think I think we should have not been patrolling every day, and when we fucking patrolled like literally have every PB sending out fucking squads at the same time and like linking up and doing some bigger op shit than just, Oh, let's go walk fucking five clicks around in a circle. When, if we get a fight, great. But if not, like that shit's pointless to me, every fucking op we did should have been like when we pushed Hassanabad to fucking Barcha or whatever. And it was fucking route clearance and everything's banging off and you got fucking, platoons on both sides of the fucking canal just sweeping through clearing all these ieds like literally clearing online this shit out right. and not just walking around waiting to see if you get shot at like that shit's dumb dude and i know that takes a lot more time and, and effort to like really work up missions and target certain locations and be like we're going to clear this fucking village out like do that don't just let us sit around and I mean, not sit around, but let us do shit in and around the fucking the the base while you're working up this fucking mission. And then we're going to bang this mission out and be out for three days on this mission and then come back like not this. That's point. kind of more what I was alluding to. So like you think World War Two, right? Vietnam, it's a linear line going forward. But politics get in the moment, politics get involved, right? Like Vietnam, World War Two, we retreat. You have a different trench line. Right. Historically, in America, every war that's been successful or battles, exactly what you just said, tanks, first infantry, third infantry, whatever. Okay, third gets pushed back, hold, pivot, hit, whatever, stay, regroup, keep pushing. Yeah. And, you know, we are just fortunate in our lifetime. We Politics were involved. We're, we're the little fucking snake waiting for the bait. Yeah. Too many hands in the pot, man. Uh, I, you know, I, I have the absolute privilege to sit down and listen to my mentor, Mark, and his uh, buddy, uh, Phil, lifetime Green Beret, uh, Mark, Force Recon, and dude, you, you know, and even, you know, like uh, assessing uh, coin operations, real coin operations, you kill every fucking thing. That's coin, not, not this hearts and minds thing. Um, and if we're going to do hearts and minds, we, we fucking did a horrible job. We didn't know anything about the culture really to, to use it to our advantage. Uh, so what, whatever, you know, the strategy that was at play, you know, and I don't know, you know, um, I, I want to say that 2011, I think, you know, Colonel Harold did a fucking amazing job with leveraging the battalion's autonomy and dude, we got to fuck shit up compared to 2009 where people's careers were on the line and all of a sudden no one wanted to do shit. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, the, the comparison, you know, you need autonomy and that, that was, and that's, that's always been, you know, uh, an issue, decentralized execution, right? We hear, we right. hear about centralized command, decentralized execution, but somehow the decentralized part becomes, you know, politicized and, nothing gets accomplished because once again, someone's career's on the line or, oh yeah, we had these grunts do something that they weren't supposed to do. And then, you know, the whole battalion gets blanketed as fucked up or the company gets blanketed as fucked up. Coin is a beast. 
Bitcoin is a beast. Um, so like my first deployment in Fallujah the first time around, right? Rules totally different, right? Second time around Fallujah, more coin, you know, General Mattis, right? But you still can't help but in like, it's this weird paradigm. Like you, you know, terrorist, this, that, bad, the other, you're over the top forceful the first time, right? Cause it's full blown war. Second time around, we're trying to do coin to like hearts and minds. But coin, I think, is a bullshit term in the realm of politics is still involved. Because the first time around in Fallujah for me in 06, you know, we're doing this, that, the other. But the main problem back then was the American government decentralized the Iraqi government, right? Anybody that was Ba'ath Party got taken out of every political job. So now you made more enemies, aka, which led to the coin portion part two in Ramadi, make hearts and minds, you know, to essentially keep some of the government things intact, regardless of their beliefs. So you have like two separate paradigms where, you know, in Iraq, people were part of the Ba'ath Party because they needed running water. You know what I mean? They wanted sewage or whatever, but it was a full-blown war. And the quickest way to cripple them was to say the Ba'ath Party is you know, no longer an association with the Iraqi government. So the government itself collapsed. So then you have coin, hearts and minds, Ramadi, second round. Polly, you've seen it. Jose, you've seen it. Like we did stuff so much differently and your hands were tied from you know a war perspective. But Bergeron did a great job with essentially checkpointing and um, encircling the city that it, it just null and voided things by making the local police police the problem. So you have like two different entities that are insane, but worked, but didn't work at the same time. Yeah. I, I just, you know, when it comes down to Afghanistan, we could have done it a lot better. At least the major points like Marja City, Fuck it. Drop, drop fucking mobile hotspots. Drop fucking TVs. Drop fucking cell phones. Bombard their fucking ecosystem with nothing but pro-fucking American, pro-fucking Afghan governments doing this and that. And fucking make a bunch of Twitter accounts and, and win the fucking war. Use the narrative to win the fucking war like ISIS had, did in 2014 when it took over fucking Mosul. I don't think that works either, though. Because I think what it gave us enough leverage to root out the Taliban to and we would have we wouldn't have been in this fucking I don't I don't think we would have been in this 20 year period where we're now we're basically going to hand over Afghanistan back to the Taliban. Um, so here's here's a weird paradigm question. The Taliban and the Afghan people technically are one and the same. Like their coexistence depends on each other, right? The marijuana, the opium, there's tax, whatever. But the region as a whole doesn't care about the outside world. They want to live, they want to farm, they want to have their family in whatever way the religion perspects it. But the coexistence of the Taliban interjects some tax, obviously in some gangster style things. Would you, I would almost per se, you do border control in Afghanistan to keep the Taliban out internally 
try to root out the Taliban, right? But at the same time, internally, Afghanistan didn't want the help. They've never, like, they are a country of their own people. So can you ever really win from a country that doesn't want your help? They're still going to live the same way they lived in 1960. Yeah, man, that's a good point. Yeah, no, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, we need the fucking resources, so, you know, imperialism it is. <laughs> so, I don't know how much time we got, but I'll throw out another question I threw in chat. So, obviously, all of us were in wartime, so on and so forth, but now we're in that transition where there is no war, right? So, us as veterans, mental health is different than today, right? These guys aren't experiencing the same thing. So, question one to you, Josie or Polly. How do you take what we're going through to apply it to the future? And then my second question would be, if we really want to make a change in mental health and we talk about hormones and how you act, do you add another year to a contract for a guy to adjust? He, he's a paper pusher. Let him decompress, do some paper job post-infantry. You know, he goes to the doctor, you know, instead of your four week, go to the freaking SARS process, check out and do a fake ass fucking resume. That's stupid as shit. But you take a year and let the guy adjust. So a four year contract becomes five. You still work, you still get paid. But let the guy adjust with the tools that you have. Yeah, we kind of talked about something like that a, a while ago about, you know, letting it giving it, making a guy stand pulling him out of battalion or de deployable status and and teach him a skill like have him do on-base maintenance or something like that and or or anything or gardening teach him teach him a, a skill that if he's getting out he can at least get out and have something to get the ball rolling for himself if he doesn't want to continue continue education or or you know or something like that i think that might that would be you know, a beneficial, a beneficial thing for sure. You really need the skill though. I mean, you got the GI bill, you can go to a tech school, you can go. To no, a... I know. I know. But I'm just saying for guys that might not, not know where they're headed. If you, if you give them an option, kind of like a vocational shit to do, but to still help them require out like on base, like go repair shit or whatnot. And that Maybe. way, when you leave, you can get right to work when you're figuring this out and not sitting at home depressed, you know, or whatever, because you don't you don't fucking know what to do with yourself. Um, I think any option like that would would be beneficial. As far as like the mental health with guys today, there we talked about this the other week. Like these guys are fucked up right now, dude. And no, they didn't, they didn't go to war, or, or you know they're they're not deploying to combat zones, but they're all fucking. From what you can see on social media. They're all like self-deprecating, man. Like they're not, I won't say all of them. I can't generalize like that. But a lot of them, like there's this issue with, you know, peacetime fucking. Um, yeah. And they just don't think they're like, you know, oh, I'll never. It's great. I know the 240 in and out and I can break that bitch down fucking blindfolded fast as fuck, boy. But. You know, I'm never going to get to shoot at anything besides echo silhouette targets and, you know, and that's, 
it's sad to me because I, I don't I don't know how I would have done being being that. I'd be a completely different person. I mean, we all would joined. What's that? Would you even joined? I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I think that I think really we don't question. Like it's no war time. Would you even have yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was a kid. If I was a kid now, I say kid, if I was 19 now, it's 2021. I don't feel like there's any fucking way I'm joining because I'm I if I'm like like what I see. Which that's a whole different topic too. But if if I am what I see, I don't fucking join, you know. And there's no war, and there's no, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. It's weird to say these hypotheticals, but right, um, the interesting thing nowadays, no war. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to cut in on you, Josie. Oh no. So, so I had a lot of time to think about all of this. So, what I think should happen is like I said, major reform for every Victor unit and its attachments. Like for example, we should build a two eight center of excellence where if you're about to transition now, you're going to go to this program for one year and we're going to teach you everything you need to know, or as much as we know possible about human philosophy, psychology, so that you can be the best fucking citizen you can possibly be. And then we're going to link you up with your old teammates and do a homestead 3.0 fucking act where we're able to vet you out. And, you know, I think, you know, so Robert Elliott, who's a Marine, who's out in Fayetteville, he, or in the Sanford, North Carolina area, he's got a soldier to agriculture program where he's, you know, if you're a guy that's getting out and wants to get into farming, dude, you're, you're now a fucking national asset, right? You're now a part of this whole national security apparatus where our farmland, our farmlands need to be cultivated. People need to eat. Now you're part of that. And I think that's an excellent way for these things to manifest. And, you know, when you look at all the scales, you know, once again, wars are going to get a lot smaller. Veteran, the veteran population is going to decrease unless there's a major conflict where, major conflict where, you know, there's a, an upsize in scale of the force. And I think that's another problem that we face is that historically with every conflict that's taking place and the drawdown, we end up gutting out too many senior leaders it doesn't matter if you're fucking a combat veteran or not. We end up gutting them out. And then the force has no moral infrastructure to depend on for morale or whatever mission is essential. Thus, the entirety of, you know, the warrior ethos template gets pushed to the side and no one's abiding by it. Hence, you get all these, you know, internal social ills and you get all these image issues and it becomes a clusterfuck. And there's no one there to vet that. And on another level, this is the same thing that I've been talking about where mental health has to be the centerpiece for it all. On one level, we have a society that's become standardless and it's become increasingly technological. And as a result of that, we now have the capacity to change people at the fundamental, at the fundamental genetic level. We can raise an entire population to be something that they never even had a, a choice in. And that's the whole idea of influence operations. We have to get out of the mindset that there is no such thing as war and peace. I call it the middle war paradigm because we're in a constant state of war. It doesn't matter if there's not a physical war going on where the, the force is operational like it was back when we were in. We're still in fucking war. We have 
once again, you know, the Russian lubricates that are influencing our ecosystem. We have the Chinese who are using their Belt and Road Initiative to economically deprive and undermine U.S. influence. We have North Korea, who's a constant freaking pain in the ass as a result of China's influence. We have Iran, who is just always trying to fucking flex, even though they have an internal struggle with the theocracy and dot, 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 dot. But nonetheless, we have an increasingly democratic population where they're not seen through the lens that we come through and you have the rise of these superpowers. And that's, you know, that's another thing. It's an education process. The large majority of the population does not understand that we've shifted from terrorism to interstate strategic competition, right? For the first time, we have states, you know, superpowers that are able to compete with the United States. And that means that everything is now weaponized. The entire uh, human, uh, United States population is weaponized. And so until we can get a grip on how to, you know, better ourselves and armor up ourselves to become more resilient in the face of affective states that are weaponized, media that's weaponized, you know, then we can better suit one another as, as a whole. Will it ever happen? I don't know. But once again, it's a lifelong endeavor. Uh, the force isn't going to be what, what it was. And, and that's another thing. And if we're looking at trends, all trends do is give us a story of the past. They don't really give us a, a story of the future. So whatever conflicts may arise, we have to you know, establish the standard, whatever that standard is, and then use that standard for whatever anomalies or variables are presented to us within the next you know, 15, 20 years. So you know, there's just a, an absolute crap ton of things that do need to be changed, addressed. And it, it just blows, what blows my mind is that it shouldn't come from corporals and lance corporals and sergeants, but it is. The reform is, that's where the reform is going to come from. That's where the change is going to come from. We, you know, we have to stop thinking that so-and-so in on on the hill or the secretary of defense or one of these generals is going to be the change no we have to be the fucking change and you know that that's why i subtly and indirectly try to influence others to go ahead and step up and at least do something in regards to mental health because that's where the fucking fight is that's where we have to have the balance uh i know that's a lot no not at all man I think like you make some really good points across the board there too. And I think just adding to a point of it, you know, as you said, like internally statewide in the United States, you know, there's these conflicts with you know California or different economies. And like you said, the cancel culture earlier in the, you know, interview, nobody really knows how bad it is outside of the United States, except for a select few. And as you allude to information technology and the share of things. It's all it's blocked like, oh, if America is so bad, if mental health is so bad. Go ahead, go, go to go to Liberia, go to Syria, go go somewhere, go experience the other part of the world. And see if you want to complain. Fucking go in, go to Mexico, dude. Just go to Mexico. No, some parts of Mexico is pretty cool. No, I mean, I know that, but like <laughs> a lot of it's fucking not, and it's fucking pretty wild. You know what I mean? Like, 
I don't know. We, we, we're creatures of comfort, you know, all of us are, we, we, that shit will suck you in and make you soft. And we're just as, as technology is advancing, it's just making, making a lot of people's fucking spines turn to fucking rubber, dude. Get rid of it all. Let's go back to MySpace. <laughs> that was the that was the fucking beginning of this bullshit, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, technically, AOL and AIM was the beginning. Paul, you you might be, you might be old enough for that, but Joe Z was still a baby. No man, I had a Packer Bill. I was. Yeah, dude. No, I remember going to Walmart and they would hand out <laughs> these fucking AOL discs, dude. And you could get like free AOL trial or whatever. And oh man, yeah, that's how. If you want to read a good book, it's called it's by Peter Singer. It's called Like War, and it kind of gives you historiosity of how the whole weaponization of information technologies and digital medias um, became you know what they are today. Um, it's an amazing phenomenon, and it's only going to get worse as a result of you know. And Polly was when we talked to General Spaulding, man. Fuck, I wish we could have talked to him a little bit longer. Um, what do you think about trying to get like Ben Shapiro or somebody like that on the show? No, I don't think we'd see eye to eye. Um, Debate's good though, and he gives good information. I don't, I'm not here to debate. I'm here to present a series of solutions that we can apply to the greater good. Um, my, my, my war isn't with any other American, whether it's through the use of words or not. I'm, just platform talks. That's I just first came to mind. So I'm just saying something like that, like some bigger podcast people. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, there's a, you know what I'm presenting as far as you know the national security concern that I have, which is epigenetic, social, mimetic entropy. Essentially, we're we're becoming so disorganized, and that the war, this meta war paradigm, you know, is taken seriously. Um, it's only a matter of, you know, of course, everything is a matter of time, depending on it, but this is a matter of time. It's a different kind of time. It's genetic time. You can engineer a population to be what you want them to be. Okay, that's very, very dangerous. You don't, the, the war isn't physical, it's psychical. And you don't need to invade other countries. You don't need to establish physical, you know, Gestapos or Nazis when you can just simply control the affective states. And, you know, that's what 5G, 6G, and whatever other G comes afterwards is that we're just becoming highly embedded in this information technology and our infrastructure is. And a result of it, you're going to have these, what I call metahumans, people that are either one and, you know, have intent of goodness or badness, and they're going to corrupt their environments for avarice or some kind of greed. And a result of it, we're going to go into decline. And part of it is that there needs to be an entire paradigm shift. Our mental health institutions need to have a new paradigm. Our entire Department of Defense has to have a new paradigm. I, I critique these designs that they have because they're talking about we need a whole of government, a whole of society. But the problem is, is that it's all being undermined by the abstract that we fail to see and you know once again you know it, it doesn't matter what how big your body count is at the end of the day it, social media controls the world and destroys it at the same time yeah and 
that's why you need sustainable projects. That's why you need more farmland. That's why you need people to be embedded in you know nature. That's why we need to protect those assets in this country. Every time we see overdevelopment taking place, you know that should be in question. I'm not saying that. And you know, I get my information from the Marine Corps Future Directorate, and everything that they're forecasting is pretty fucking spot on. And we're gonna see you know mega cities rise. They're already here. But it's only a matter of time with, you know, water, climate change, um, resources, um, manufactured pandemics. Um, and, you know, I got to be careful saying that, but, you know, there's something to be questioned in regards to COVID-19. It, it was used as war. And, you know, the metal war paradigm, everything is an act of war. There's no such thing as accidental. Everything is deliberate. We're at the point in our, our fucking human evolution where these things, you know, aren't accidents. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we could have seven episodes on COVID. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to. So what have you done to stay grounded, man? Like, what have you done personally? It's been a mix, really. Like when I first got out. I had like a little break, but I had my medical retirement, right? So like, I don't think I wasn't in a position as some other veterans of like, what do I do? Where do I go? Like, if I fail, what the F happens to me, right? Because I had some financial stability there, right? No debt, no nothing. So lived with a couple of family members waiting to go to college, go to college, right? Like, had an idea what I wanted to do, but I get, like a weird paradigm too is how old are you when you get out? How old you are when you get out, like impacts like what you're trying to do or like where do you now fall into this social paradigm of society? Like, oh, you're a veteran. It's great. You're awesome. And you have leadership. Like, you have all these fucking skills, right? But there's also this 21-year-old who just went to the University of Minnesota, Michigan, or NC, who interned at fucking Duke Hospital or, you know, this sports medicine, you know, knee replacement place, right? So from a corporate perspective... They're fucking way ahead of you, right? Because like today's kids, they're interning for their parents. They're doing this job. You know, not all of them, right? There's social economic distress across the board. But, you know, I got out at 26 years old. Like that's a whole different fucking ball game than a four-year tour. And you're now 22, maybe 23. Like in that realm, you're just a kid who didn't go to college right away. Right. So I had a hard time connecting at college. Right. Because I didn't have to have a job. So then I, you know, joined the football teams, helped coach, whatever, met a couple other veterans. That was probably the saving grace. Right. Like I met a couple other army vets that were um, northern Afghanistan, whatever. So if it wasn't for that, like, I don't even know the path that I probably would have went to. Um. So then I joined the VFW in Uptown. Um, was there for a while, helped them do a lot of great things. 
there was kind of some internal conflict there where we didn't see eye to eye on some things. So I ended up leaving that. Um, but leaving that, there was no, there was nothing I had that was mine. You know what I mean? Like I was a part of society. I was with the flow, go to college, go do something. But I didn't have that brotherhood that you talked about, right? Like there's no connection. There wasn't anything. Throw in like a crappy breakup in there as well, right? You know, like now you're just adding fuel to the fire. Um, so then I finally graduated, got the job that I had now. So it's like, okay, here's my new goal. Here's my directive. So prior to that, though, like you're supposed like the world wants you to have a college degree, be educated, do something, right? Like all these Fortune 500 military leaders, lieutenants, you know, from years past, they automatically become some manager at some company making a hundred grand, you know what I mean? And for us, no money. Our only vacations were to the shittiest places on the face of the earth. You could never take a vacation unless you were going home or sliding away on a 72 hour pass to already see your wife at your own house that you already had. Um, you know what I mean? So like there's that paradigm there, but like in the corporate world, you do have leadership. You do have like this, you know, just like somebody who gets busted down or something like, you know, a way a guy carries himself that has his stuff together. Like, so we all have that to some extent from our military experience but you don't have the corporate side. The corporate side is like going to fucking recruit school all over again, right? Like, how do you email people? How do you text? You know what I mean? How do you set up me? Like, it's a whole different fucking ball game. So you think you like it and maybe you like it or not or whatever, find the right job and move around. Um, but it also brings you back to that how the F do I start over somewhere? Like, I think that's the biggest problem that vets have for the most part. Like I was a corporal or I was a machine gun squad leader, or I was like, it was this, I was in charge of five people, 10 people, 12 people, or I was in charge of $10 million worth of equipment. And now you're Josie or Tyler in front of a computer taking orders for a furniture piece of furniture like obviously your situation uh poly is a little different but like that whole starting over process is scary like mine was a little different because i had the pension portion for medical but a guy trying to start from scratch with a set of skill sets that are not applicable to literally fucking anything how does he connect with society i think like for me that was the biggest challenge. How do I connect with society with essentially, even though I have a college degree, zero skills. Like, you know, some radio guy or, you know, Intel guy, you know, there's totally different set of rules there. But as a combat, you know, MOS or support staff, how do you take your bullshit skills and apply them? I think that's the most crazy thing. Um, so I just went with it. And like I said earlier, after college and the, this job I have here, like my now kind of inner peace is this softball organization, um, bringing people together through softball to help veterans, to get them on trips, to help families in need. Like if I could essentially quit the job I have now unintentionally, hopefully they never see this interview, but, um, 
Like I'm more at peace doing that than I am doing what I'm doing now. And being part of like this conversation, Josie, you and I have had some different interactions, like making changes like this or impacts with this, like this is where I feel like my more interdirection is to. And again, that's not for everybody. Like some guy might be happy doing marketing or whatever, but for me, I still need this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people do, man. I think a lot of people can benefit from it. And and that's just, that's the main thing I always say, you know, obviously you have a lot going on that you're doing too, to try and, to try and, you know, headed off in your direct community. But as far as the guys I give a fuck about, which were any of the ones that, you know, I serve with all two, eight guys or whoever, obviously all veterans, but like if this, if having conversations like this with everybody from the fucking battalion, just to, just to hear them speak and let them know people want to fucking hear what they have to say, no matter how trivial they think it is. Like, I think that, to me, that's what helped me in talking to Ho fucking Jose Jose. Um, you know, it. it's just, until you do it, Joe you know, I, what's that? The Joe Durte. <laughs> no, until, until, you do, until you do it, until you come on and just bullshit and, like, reminisce a little bit, like, I think there is a real benefit in it for our, directly for our guys. Um I mean, even in just this conversation, like I haven't seen either of your faces in Josie, I think <laughs> years before, but there is some euphoria in your brain yeah. having a conversation just like this. Yeah, dude, all this shit, like good flashbacks. Like you just start fucking picturing motherfuckers on the catwalk or like seeing dudes, you know. So <laughs> here's another one. The see a chug, send a chug from like three years ago. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Just slamming beers. I don't know who the fuck's did that. I think, uh, what was his name, dude? Um, they started with the icing first. Remember that crap? But oh, I, the Smirnoff shit? <laughs> yeah. yeah. With you and Zach with the getting iced and shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. That fucker, dude. But I think but it was. No, it, it, was like, it was Steve. What's, what was his name, dude? Van Diver. Yeah, Van Diver. He's the one that started that fucking beer chugging shit. But like Josie, I don't know how you want to analyze it, but like think of the mass communication that happened in like that three month time frame. You know what I mean? Like it was that one see a chug, challenge a chug. It was our own veteran stupid ass fucking thing. But you had, you know, a hundred guys in that group. That was the most communication that group has did and still has done. You know what I mean? Like that's what yeah, he, and, that's what's mind-boggling. And that shit was good. I mean, I think, but you know, not that chugging a beer is a good thing. Yeah, no, not necessarily. <laughs> not, not, every, not everybody can just do that, like whenever. But I think what, like, it's it's weird too, because like we're talking about mental health and like you know, just the fucking the weird the weird aura it has and even like discussing ptsd or anything like that you know people don't people don't want to talk about it because it's not the most like enjoyable conversation right you know it, you got to kind of dig deep a lot of times especially if you want to if you want to contribute anything 
or anything that how you deal with shit or what you've been through but like it there really is is benefit to it i feel like it's something that when it's when it's talked about the more it's talked about like the less the less fucking weight it has really you know um Right, there's that not wait like there's it's not like it's 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 a bad thing like a tab. It's a burden of secrecy because nobody else is talking about it. Right, because we can't because you don't want to be the first one. Right. So I just think the more guys that you can have, like, kind of open that can up a little bit. So here's an interesting thing, and this actually kind of goes against your kind of overall view Josie like technology is kind of bad sort of need a reform but with the pandemic technology has improved via connecting with others right yeah you know zoom teams whatever um fuck what if like what if 03xx literally just has an open fucking zoom meeting happy hour yeah fuck yeah yeah whatever fucking needs are down man yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's just something right there. Dudes to connect and just bring them back to some happy place. You know what I mean? And that goes maybe back to that other thing, like that one conversation. You know, what? how do you get that one conversation started about how they're feeling? Yeah, I'm down with that, man. Yeah. It's an interesting way. It's an interesting view. Will it work? Will it won't work? Who knows? But with technology, we can all now video chat together at the same time, 50 fucking people for half an hour, if you really want to. Dude, you know what I would like? And I, that's a great idea, Ray. I, I'd be down for that. Anybody just pop in on a link and be like, the fuck's going on, bitch? But I would like, dude, honestly, like, say, like, Connie Grimmett, dog, Mac, dude, just, I would just like to listen to him, like, read a book or something. I just want to hear You know what I mean? Like, I just want him to, like, just read a chapter of a book. Come on, come on, Zoom and just like watch them read something. You know, what I mean, just listen to them. Just kind of, I don't know, reminisce a little bit. I think that would be cool. You know, wakey, like wakey, that. eggs and bacon. <laughs> yeah, something like oh, that. Just bitches. <laughs> yeah, just like I don't know. I, I think something. You know. You know what the best way to die is? Get killed by Chuck Norris and have Morgan Freeman narrate it. Holy I have hey Paulie, I have some stuff that I want to talk to you, but I'll, I'll do it when we're offline. Yeah, I, I want to make a point real quick. Um, John Paul Sartre, um, existentialist, right? He 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 termed this coin called living in bad faith, and he gave this kind of like analogy between there's a person who wakes up who has the occupation of being a waiter. And they go to work and they wait, you know, they, they bust tables, they pick up things. And, and I'm probably fucking this all up, but the person who is the waiter, whenever the day is over, they go home as the waiter. And in essence, they, they live in bad faith as a result of thinking that they are this label or this occupation. And it's very difficult I think in the context of being a, a Marine, because you're, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. And then how do you like deconstruct that where you make it not bad faith? So, I, so in short, you know, for a very long time, I denied what I was. I denied what I used to do. 
I didn't want anything to do with it because it was just a bittersweet pain. But it wasn't until I realized that I was these things and not just the physical aspects, not, you know, an 0311, not somebody who just completely closes with and destroys the enemy. There was other aspects to it that I was able to go ahead and find inner peace with myself. And that's the focus on, you know, warrior ethos, JJ Dutai buckle, the 14 leadership traits and principles, stuff like that. And at the heart of that was this idea that he also uh, coined um, the existence of the other. Uh, and, you know, I bring it back down to this ground level where it's like, all right, ontology, right? The study of being. So before you can have, you know, what's the number one thing needed to create a, 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 an army, right? You need other bodies, you need other consciousness. And when you have other consciousness, other bodies, you institutionally end up creating a series of transactions that also become uh, more than just transactions. And that's the connection to, to one another. And it wasn't until I started accepting what I was in the context of being a Marine, in the context of what I was, all those abstract things, that I was able to go ahead and find the ground myself to, to just being at peace with myself and being at peace with the world. Because no matter what I do at the end of the day, no matter if I go on live television or whatever, no one's still going to understand besides Marines. No one's going to understand that. And I'm okay with that. Fuck, that's huge, dude. Like, I did some looking and I know the bad faith thing. So, you know, you're close. Obviously, you read all the time. You, but essentially, you adopt a false identity based off of society. You forget your true identity is bad faith. So you just behave the way society wants to do is essentially bad faith. Um, totally guilty of that, right? Like, you know better than anybody how much of a dick I was or aggressive back in the day. Fuck, I don't yell at nobody anymore. It's sad. I don't argue. I don't, I don't fucking do nothing. I'm just in my own little bubble hanging out. <laughs> like, I'm like the complete opposite of I was then. I'm like more introverted now than I ever was before. It's very intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Not what I not what I would, you know, picture, but I think I think living that way for a long time kind of is exhausting too. And it can and it can wear on you. Um not that you're giving up the fight, you know, but you just kind of start looking at things a little bit differently and right. And mentally, like you said, like it's exhausting. Like yeah. um, I do have a professor, great guy, worked at 3M forever he's part of the original post-it note crew Fucker. yeah um he's part of the fucked up ear pro <laughs> <laughs> i was just kidding fuck ear pro dude grunts don't, grunts don't use ear pro that's why we're all dapping shit but. but he worked with a retired general i forget from where but you know those personality tests to determine like introvert extrovert like all those things whatever he took three, like two different tests, like twice. So four tests, two before he got out and then like two after he got out. And they were completely different. Like he was completely wow. more introverted as a CEO level. Um, so that's, it's an interesting how your body mind transitions. Like you said, like, I don't know if it's because you're over it mentally 
or you know whatever it is like obviously i still could scream at the top of my lungs and kick the shit out of a kid but um you know like now i'm like oh you are disagreeing with me and you're stupid but i'm just gonna be like i'm not gonna say nothing like when could you ever picture me saying that you know yeah, yeah. that was 10 years ago right never yeah that's yeah it's it's weird it's weird how i don't know and maybe it's just maybe it's just because you realize what there's certain things that are worth fighting for and you know everything else but some of them are things that legitimately are debatable like i should we should have a dialect <laughs> right but it's more or less like i just don't want to go down that road with you because it's stupid yeah. you have a choice you're, you know autonomy you're you're aware of yeah it's it, a lot well, of it's talking about like medical metaphorical ph psychologically physiological change like that's a good example for me like you guys know me like 10 years ago fuck it, fist of cuffs it up let's go or whatever just shut like some form of argument now i'm just like where's the funny dog video <laughs> right you just yeah evolved. you just evolved yeah that's soft in my old age Especially today is my birthday. Oh, Happy damn. Birthday, man. How old are you? Let me guess. 36. Four. 34? No shit. Damn, I'll be 34 this October 1st. Damn, I thought you were older, man. You joined young then. When did you join? 18? 18. Yeah. Three months after my 18th birthday. I... April, today is my birthday, obviously. I went to boot camp August 1st. I saved my senior year summer for myself. Great choice. Damn. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, happy birthday, man. What are you going to do? Um, We were just in Arizona last week or the week before. But, like, my birthday's on a Sunday. So, like, obviously not shit you can really do. But next week, the lady, the old lady planned a trip up north to some resort it's all secret so i have no idea what the fuck we're really doing that's but. cool yeah enjoy that shit man yeah yeah dude it sucks getting older i don't i'm my birth i just turned 34 april 2nd and i hate i hate birthdays i just think it's weird like that's not something like i don't oh. know people people are fucking i don't know my parents all days are weird period yeah my parents hate me for that shit because i'm like you know i don't care about don't care about thanksgiving don't care it's just a, it's just a day it's a day i'm like i didn't get to choose this like you guys fucked man you know what i mean like i had no control over that i'm like thank you for doing that you brought me here in shape i didn't get to pick this day like anyway that's ungrateful and i know but i'm glad to be here but i don't feel like i don't feel like i'm 34 dude you know you, you miss you miss so many holidays right or dates yeah it just becomes a day yeah, you stop caring about them, I think, because of that. You're like, I can't make a big deal of it. Christmas and fucking Iraq, like, what am I? What am I going to do? Thanks what am for I going to stay in post? I'm going to stay in post. Thanks Christmas. for the slice of turkey and cold fucking mashed yeah. <laughs> Or in Cax, when we had to walk fucking a mile and a half to go pick up the fucking food and bring it back. <laughs> when it was like negative, or not negative, but the Santa Anta winds or whatever at that stupid other range. Thanksgiving those are the, 2010. That shit, those are the character building moments, man. Those are those are ones that make you make you who you are. 
What shit, man? Ray, it's good talking to you. Good to see you doing good, man. Yeah, for real. Yeah, it was great to join. Um, talk about some in-depth stuff and help out the cause or whatever. If you guys ever need a guest host or another debater for any topic or you don't got anybody lined up, I'm more than willing to join or um, cross-examine or w whatever you guys want to do. Good shit, man.